The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. And today, 20% nationally of offices are empty because people haven't come back to work. Blackstone CEO Steve Schwarzman is a private equity pioneer. He runs the firm that is the world's largest landlord and shares his take on the U.S. economy. Instead of really going into recession, U.S. growth was 2.4% in the last quarter. It shocked almost everyone. This special podcast is the only place to hear the full Squawk Box interview with the one-time prolific Republican donor. Somewhere around 60-65% of Americans don't want the president to run, and 55% or so don't want the former president to run. Something's going to happen here. On politics, China, artificial intelligence. This is one of the most exciting developments uh, of a lifetime. AI isn't going to just be able to write poems for somebody's birthday. And the opportunities for the future. That may be a bit of a Pollyanna view, but it's an important thing to get this right. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Squawk Pod reports Blackstone's Steve Schwarzman begins right now. Private equity firm Blackstone crossed the $1 trillion mark in assets under management earlier this summer. Now, that is a far cry from the $400,000 the firm's chairman, CEO, and co-founder Steve Schwarzman started with in the 1980s, a completely different era in Wall Street history. Blackstone is today the world's largest alternative asset manager, with a real estate portfolio valued at nearly $600 billion. And in fact, the firm is the biggest landlord in the world as well. On a week when the United States lost its AAA, top-notch debt rating status thanks to a downgrade from the Fitch agency, the innovative Steve Schwarzman is an ideal guest to turn to. Other investors like Berkshire Hathaway's Warren Buffett and J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon have downplayed the importance of the rating cut. Dimon says it's ridiculous. It doesn't really matter that much. Uh, You know, the markets decide, not the rating agencies make these big decisions. Schwarzman admits the cut was appropriate after several debt limit seasons of brinksmanship in Washington. He calls it justified, regrettably. Our exclusive conversation with Steve Schwarzman covers a lot of ground, from the Fitch downgrade in the markets to artificial intelligence, real estate, the 2024 election, and so much more. Give me a 10, 8, 6, 5. All three? Okay. This interview was recorded on location at Blackstone headquarters in New York City. No, you are not imagining the sounds of New York traffic or even sirens. It is the real world. Everybody's good? Steve Schwarzman sat down with CNBC Squawk Box anchor Becky Quick. Steve, thank you for for hosting us here today. Um, We're here because Blackstone now is over a trillion dollars in assets under management. First private equity firm to do that uh, by a long shot. And it's an awfully long way from where you came back in 1985 when you had just $400,000 that uh, you got to this point. What happened? How'd you get here? 
well, it was a long journey. Uh, when we started in 1985, uh, there, there weren't diversified uh, private equity firms. Uh, basically, there were just about seven or eight firms that just did leverage buyouts. And when we started, we, I, I was worried that if you just did one thing, because there are no patents in finance, and usually what happens when you have something good, a lot of other people enter and there's a wave of money uh, and the margins go down uh, and then it isn't as good a business as it started. So, so we had a strategy of wanting to go into other areas as long as it was really exciting for the investors, people we could raise money from. So uh, constant innovation, basically changing. We started to have an innovation machine. Uh, and I thought it was just necessary. And we were the only people who wanted to do that. Uh, and so we got really lucky. We were good at figuring out what was next. You could sort of see it. We went into real estate in 1991, 92 at the bottom uh, of a real estate collapse. And now we've become the largest real estate investor in the world. Uh, and we went into hedge funds in the late 80s, and that proved to be a really good thing in the debt business in 1998, before almost everybody else was doing that. Uh, and we, we've, we've just had one thing after another, and each one I look at as an individual opportunity. No grand strategy of exactly where we go, but our job was to create new products and great returns with very minimum risk uh, and hire to do it uh, the best person in the world that we could find to be in those businesses and work with them to develop them into really big things. What's the latest innovative strategy that you have that maybe others haven't figured out yet, haven't figured out how to rip off? Well, the latest has really been in the insurance area, which is a few years old. Uh, we're going to have I guess about $175 billion uh, in a few years. Uh, I could see that business you know, easily doubling or more you know, over the next five years. Um, so whenever we see something, that's an example of an area with $30 trillion of assets. And when we work with them at the same rating, they get 150 basis points more. Now, that doesn't sound like the most exciting thing in the world, except if you're in the insurance business. Steve, you mentioned that you are the largest owner of, of real estate. And there are people who look at that and say, oh, no, commercial real estate in particular is a real problem spot. And that's been the area that even though a lot of issues in the financial markets have worked out, people look to that to say that's going to be the next big problem. What, what do you say when people say, what do you do with this? Are you in trouble? Well, the, the answer is it's a great area, but not all parts of it are great. So the part that reflects what you were just asking about is in the office area. Uh, and today, 20% nationally of offices are empty because people haven't come back to work. Uh, and another 20% nationally are sort of almost empty. So, so 40%. Right. Uh, and at that level, office buildings uh, are no longer really viable from an equity perspective. Uh, now, the new ones really are. People want to be in those, but if it's 10 or 15 years old, uh, then you have that problem. 
we had tons of office buildings at the financial crisis, 70% um, of what we owned. Today in the United States, we only own 2% of that problem area. The rest of what we own is where real estate is really terrific. Uh, warehouses, for example, uh, are about 40% of what we own. They're going up 12 to 14% a year in rents. Hard to imagine that that's a problem because it isn't. Uh, there are other areas in real estate like data centers, which are literally exploding with growth. Uh, rents are going really high. Uh, and that's going to be an area of enormous uh, uh, returns uh, for the people who are in that uh, business like we are will be one of the biggest in the world doing that. So, so what we find in real estate, there are good neighborhoods in effect and, and some really not good ones. Uh, and our portfolio is hugely biased uh, to the good areas. When, when did you see the problems with commercial real estate with, with the office buildings and say, we got to get out of this? It, it started uh, in, the, in the late uh, teens. Uh, and we were finding that, that the cash flows coming off of those buildings uh, weren't what they used to be. The cost of running them, capital expenditures, other things. And we decided that um, we should really lighten up. Uh, and, and we did. We made a huge switch. Uh, we switched out of uh, shopping centers uh, around 2015. And so part of the art of re really being terrific uh, in, in the real estate business is knowing which sub-asset classes to be in. So resort hotels, which we also have a bunch of, you know, it's, I don't know what they call it. Is it revenge spending yes. uh, after the pandemic? Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we made a profit, I think it was uh, over 10 times our money in Las Vegas with a wonderful uh, hotel. Uh, and so if you're consistently in the right place at the right time, uh, real estate, which is the second biggest asset class uh, in the world, uh, is, is a really wonderful place to be. Are there bargains to be had or deals to be done in, in the financial services sector at this point in the banks? Uh, you mean buying banks? Well, I don't know about banks outright. Are there, are there enough problems in that sector that there's anything that they're willing to get rid of? Well, what we find, just to, just to stay on the real estate topic for a moment, uh, is that when interest rates are going up so high, particularly in Europe, mm -hmm. uh, it's very difficult for people who own a lot of properties, who are like professional investors or funds, to be able to service their debt. Because in Europe, the cost of borrowing was a little over zero, half percent to one percent before they raised interest rates uh, so much. Uh, and, and so they need to sell properties. And we are one of the few people who have the money and the confidence uh, to buy them. Uh, and so we're buying wonderful properties um, uh, just in the areas that we like. We don't buy across the board. If somebody wants to sell us a big portfolio, we say that's a lovely idea, but we only want what we want uh, in the asset classes that outperform. Uh, and so we're finding that that's, that's become a really good business. And as the cycle works, you know, there'll be more and more. I remember, what was it? 
a year and a half ago, I think, you started talking to your businesses about the potential for a downturn and making sure that all of your companies were really kind of getting their, 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 their things in order and making sure that they were ready to go if the cycle turned down, if interest rates went higher. What are you telling those companies right now? What do you see? Well, we were right on all that. Uh, you know, we had the banking crisis uh, you know, over the last few months. Uh, and, and being conservative uh, and having good financing uh, was the way to go. Uh, the world is uh, changing somewhat now, as you know. Uh, instead of really going into recession, U.S. growth uh, was 2.4% uh, in the last quarter. Uh, it shocked almost everyone. And so the U.S. economy is more resilient. But what's really fascinating is how much inflation has gone down. And if you remember, you know, my partner John Gray goes on your show uh, periodically, uh, and we've been talking early that inflation was way more than the government was reporting. I think that was true. And then we started talking about the fact that inflation was going down much more than the government thought. Uh, and we're seeing it in our companies. Uh, and I guess there was just a report of 3% inflation that in no way surprised us. Uh, and, and so it looks like the Fed is actually doing a pretty remarkable job, contrary to what people might have thought. Uh, and if the inflation continues to go down, um, that we have full employment, uh, then we may be able to skirt uh, a recession. Bill Ackman uh, made some comments this week uh, that, that he thinks inflation is going to be stubbornly high at around 3% or so, and as a result is making a bet on long-term government bonds, I think 30-year government bonds options on those. Does that make sense to you too? Even, even can we have a great economy and still have inflation stuck around 3%? Well, stuck at 3% is an interesting phrase. 3% is not so bad. Yeah. Right? It's higher than the Fed wants it to be. I understand. But remember, we were really playing around with double digits uh, as long as when? Nine months ago, six right. months ago. Uh, so down to three is pretty good. Uh, and I think it'll get lower, frankly. Uh, and the Fed you know, keeps reducing their balance sheet um, and, you know, labor costs aren't going up as much as people thought. Uh, and uh, I could see an environment where we, we sort of get a two in it. Uh, and uh, there are other counterforces, of course. You know, onshoring will increase uh, costs. Uh, but we have a pretty healthy uh, economy now. That That is part of the reason that Several big investors um, have looked at the downgrade that Fitch gave to the United States long-term debt, um, it, it, kind of a scant, saying this is an odd time for it. Fitch did make some good points and why they were downgrading out of things that have happened over the last two decades. W what are your thoughts on, on, on the downgrade and what it means? Well, nobody expected it. That's the first. Uh, secondly, uh, the numbers justify it, um, regrettably. You know, we've had an explosion uh, of, of debt since the global financial crisis, uh, and we don't appear to have a lot of discipline 
uh, going forward. We're running huge deficits now. So on the numbers, you can understand uh, why they did it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, as Jamie said, because uh, Jamie's always opinionated, I must say, uh, you know, the U.S. is the U.S. We are the reserve currency. Uh, we do defend uh, a large part of the world, uh, including people who have AAAs. Uh, and um, when there's a crisis in the world, they buy our securities. Now, that doesn't last forever if you don't keep some discipline. Uh, and so, in a way, it's a bit of a shot across the bow. Uh, on the other hand, people forget it's actually a split rating. Moody's and Standard & Poor's historically have been the two major agencies. One is AAA, one is AA+. Uh, I, I agree it's not going to make a huge difference uh, in, in really any way uh, for the debt markets, uh, but it is a little shocking when somebody just wakes up and says, I'm not so enthusiastic about your system. Mm -hmm. You've been a big donor to, to politics over the years. Since we're talking Washington now, why don't we jump into that? You had said after the 2022 midterm elections that you thought it was time for new leadership. And I guess you're referring to President, former President Trump, President Biden. I think they're getting a little bit older. Have you made any decisions about who you're backing for this next election? Well, I'm sort of watching the thing with fascination. You know, as, a, as I said, I think it's time for a new generation uh, of, of people to take that s slot. That, that's not the easiest job in the world. Uh, we all watch this and the demands on people in that position are frankly unbelievable. Uh, and I think you need a certain amount of resiliency. Uh, and when you're approaching your 80s, um, I'm, I'm not sure that that's the exact kind of position to be in, uh, to have those demands made on you. Uh, in terms of myself, I'm just watching the whole thing uh, because it's, it's, like a, it's, it's like a really amazing thing. I mean, it's, you have, um, uh, I guess it was somewhere around 60, 65% of Americans don't, don't want the president to run. Uh, and 55% or so don't want the former president to run. Uh, something's going to happen here. Uh, and uh, unbelievably, um, if you look at where we were 2015 at this time for the national election, the number one person was Scott Walker. Uh, the number two was Jeb Bush, talking on the Republican side. And the number three was Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> And I think by the end of the second uh, primary, they were all gone. Right. Uh, and so we're way ahead of a presidential election. It's a year and a quarter. And my observation in America is pretty volatile. Yeah. And you never quite know exactly what's going to happen, except there's always a lot of drama. A lot of drama for sure. And I think we have more of that to come. Um, Steve, back in... February of 2019, I got to go with you to MIT, where you made a huge donation for artificial intelligence and really beefing things up because you were concerned about what China was doing with artificial intelligence and the, the potential for the United States to fall behind. You wanted to make sure that we didn't do that. Where, where are we in this race right now? And what do you think of all the developments in AI this year? Well, what I'd say to start is, is that the call 
uh, on focusing on uh, artificial intelligence, you know, starting myself in 2015 and doing that large uh, uh, MIT uh, donation to start their new college of computing and doing something allied to that with uh, ethics and AI at Oxford uh, turned out to be the right calls because that's what's on everybody's mind now. Uh, what I'd say with AI, this is one of the most exciting developments uh, of a lifetime. Uh, and uh, AI isn't going to just be able to write poems uh, for somebody's birthday. Uh, it's going to be part of uh, everyone's life. Uh, it's going to change the way organizations uh, run. It's going to result in an explosion of discoveries in medical science and drugs. It's going to change how education is done. It can be customized and basically be done around the world. Uh, it's going to change the profitability uh, of certain companies. Uh, and at uh, Blackstone, you know, we're just totally focused on this. Uh, we have a data science department of 50 people. We have 250 portfolio companies. I just had a, uh, a meeting with the 100 largest um, and, and you know, made it clear to everybody uh, that you know, this is a first mover advantage uh, kind of uh, uh, technology where if we get there first uh, with our companies, then they'll be much better positioned than somebody who shows up five years later. How many of those 250 companies are actually using AI right now, or I guess in the process of trying to figure out how to integrate it? Well, everybody's trying to figure out yeah. what to do, how fast to do it. Uh, this isn't like a, a, a product you just buy off, off the, the shelf, shelf and right? you start using it. Uh, it requires re-engineering of companies uh, and you need real experts, uh, uh, but some companies are going to show enormous uh, response to this. And, and what's really fascinating is most people don't understand uh, how quickly uh, this can happen. Uh, the developments in the semiconductor world uh, that'll, that'll basically impact uh, AI, uh, some experts are telling me within you know, three, four, five years, uh, you'll have 60 times the power uh, of what we have. Uh, some have said higher. So, so imagine machines that can do so much more uh, than what we have. Uh, and uh, it's going to present enormous, breathtaking opportunities. But on the other hand, concerns uh, about this technology getting in the hands of you know, rogue nations or criminals or other types of issues as well as just philosophic And that's where issues. the ethics part comes into play. Right. And, and what's, what's interesting to me now is the major companies in this field, Microsoft, Google, others, uh, are all not only cooperating with the U.S. government, uh, they're pushing regulation because they really don't want bad things to happen with the rapid introduction uh, of the technology, uh, I think what's going to happen uh, is you'll ultimately have some type of global uh, regulation, uh, something like a supranational uh, institution that can audit what people are doing, 
think about an analogy of whether it's the World Trade Organization or, or um, uh, World Health Organization, uh, but with more of a financial and auditing function uh, to make sure that what people are developing really is safe. Will China try and flout the rules as they've done with the World Health Organization and the WTO to this point, or do you think they'll come into line too? Well, it's, it's hard to know. One, the, the, the West and China now have such a complex relationship uh, that it's difficult to predict. But what I'd say is that the Chinese uh, are very concerned about this type of technology because they don't have an open society the way we do. So, so they're already trying to control uh, this. And, you know, there may be an opportunity uh, to, to have the world operate uh, together uh, on this because um, you, you don't want the adverse things that could happen to happen. That, that may be a bit of a Pollyanna view, uh, but it's an important thing uh, to get this right. Steve, I want to thank you very much for inviting us here today and taking the time to talk with us. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Becky. Thank you. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Thank you for listening to this special Squawk Pod Reports. Squawk Box on CNBC is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Squawk Pod is produced by me, Katie Kramer, Cameron Costa, and Caroline Rahotis. John Lazration is our editor. That's it. Have a great day. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive, AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 